This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. You need to start digging into the marriage part. And I would even say bring in a counselor to that point because money problems become one of the leading causes of divorce in America today. And so this is a big problem, like red flag, red light. You have to work on this issue and come together and agree. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we are going to do three things. First, we're going to answer a question from the Marriage, Kids, and Money community about what to do when your spouse wants separate accounts and you don't. Second, we're throwing down another MKM challenge to get our new year started out on the right foot. And last but not least, my daughter Zoe's going to join me to read our review of the month, and we're going to do some money trivia together to shake things up a bit this year. All right, let's jump into today's show. Here's a question from our Thriving Families Facebook community from Anonymous. Here it goes. Any tips for budgeting for a family where the husband isn't so on board with budgeting? We have no debt other than our mortgage, but have two young kids to save for college. I would love to pay off the house in 10 to 15 years. We owe $470,000 on it. We keep some money separate, but have a joint account as well. I think we could make a good dent if we combined all money, but my husband isn't really on board with that. Grr. She actually typed in G-R-R-R, grr. So I feel the grr. I feel the grr, Anonymous. And thank you very much for connecting in our Thriving Families Facebook community. If you have a question like Anonymous, you can join our free Thriving Families Facebook community at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. Or you can leave me a voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. Anyway, Anonymous, this is a great question. And I'm sure... You're not alone when it comes to this topic. I definitely have some thoughts on the situation myself being married, but I thought I'd invite a previous guest back on the podcast to help me answer it. So today I'm happy to be joined by number one New York Times bestselling author and experienced family finance expert, Rachel Cruz. She's also the host of the popular Rachel Cruz show, which helps Americans learn the proper ways to handle money and to stay out of debt. You may remember that we had Rachel on the show in 2018, and we were discussing contentment in the age of Instagram. So if you want to check out that episode, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 102. Anyway, I am so glad to have Rachel back on the show. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you and great to tackle this question for Anonymous together. So why don't we jump right into it? How can she hit these important family goals that she has if her husband doesn't want to combine all the accounts? Yeah, well, this is a big problem. I mean, it's really hard to win financially in the long term when you're running on separate pages, right? You're running on two separate tracks. And so many people do this. They have different accounts. They almost see themselves as roommates when it comes to finances. And so my question would be why, asking her husband, why don't you want to combine the accounts? What is the big reason you don't want to combine the money and work together? There could be some trust issues there. There could be some entitlement on his side where he says, no, I earn this money. It's mine. I want to spend it how I want to spend it. 
there's a lot there. And what ends up happening a lot in these situations is you'll realize there's more marriage issues than money issues. Mm -hmm. And so getting to the root of it and saying, the reason why you don't want to combine it and you don't want to become one is a big deal. And so getting to that why, is it because she nags all the time, right? Is Anonymous the one that's like, wah, 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 wah. well, yeah, no one wants that around. Or again, is it because he has this level of entitlement saying, no, this is my money. And so when you live in that space, even with just the money picture, you're seeing two different tracks being played out. And that's very dangerous over the long course of a marriage. You have got to see the unity and the idea that you are one. When the moment you get married, it's not that I have my stuff here and you have your stuff here. We are one in this whole entire life. That's what marriage is. It is not being roommates. It is being one and unified. And so I would say if you guys can't get on the same page with this, you can't have this shared vision and this shared dream of where you guys want to go financially, you need to start digging into the marriage part. And I would even say bring in a counselor to that point because money problems become one of the leading causes of divorce in America today. And so this is a big problem, like red flag, red light you have to work on this issue and come together and agree. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Let, let's jump into her shoes and say, all right, I'm with you, Rachel. I'm with you, Andy. How do I start that effective conversation with my husband right away? Yeah, I would say, number one, it's going to take a lot of vulnerability on your end. And to say, hey, I'm going to sit down and say, I don't like the fact that we are so separated on this on this issue. It worries me. I don't like it. I have fear around it. And when he starts to hear your heart that's going to be a big deal. That's number one is talking about the emotional side. Number two talks about the tactical side. Hey, you know, even though we don't have debt, I have a dream of paying off the house early. Hey, I want to be able to be saving together towards goals. I want to be able to combine our accounts to say, okay, this is where we're going as a family. And here are my dreams. Here are my wishes. Here are my goals. Talk about your why, number two. And then number three, you could go very logistical, on <laughs> a logistical aspect and write it out and say, hey, if we combine all of our money and we're focused, not crazy intense at this point, because we don't teach that at Ramsey. Once you're paying on the house, you're not going to be crazy, crazy sacrificial at this point. But to say, okay, yeah, if we put X amount away more per month toward the house, like we could get it paid off this much faster. We're going to save this much on interest. Like look at the math side of it all. But again, tackling the emotional side of money is going to be number one for me. You brought up couples counseling. So if she just automatically gets a stop sign, I'm, I'm not having this conversation. We already talked about this, honey. I'm not, I'm not interested in talking about this. When is it the time to say, I need to, I need to bring in a third party? Yeah. I mean, I would say sooner than later, honestly, like if, if he's not budging, then yeah, I would say, hey, can we just sit down with someone and walk through this? Because again, there's other issues there that I would want to get to with him of understanding why, why is it that you're not willing to combine or willing to get on the same page when it comes to money? And there's probably going to be some, some stuff there that you're going to dig out. And so I think that that's important though, right? Like getting your marriage healthy in general is automatically going to make your money healthier. Well, let's play devil's advocate and jump into his shoes and say, you know what? Isn't there a way for us to do this relationship with some separate accounts? Do you think that's possible, Rachel, for people to thrive as a couple if they do have separate accounts? I don't, no. <laughs> I'm pretty black and white on the issue. I mean, retirement accounts are going to be separate. You're going to have both in your name, your 401ks and Roth IRAs. But but it's it's more on the on the idea that we are one. And the moment you start separating things. Now, I'm not saying that you lose your identity in marriage. You don't lose who you are. You're going to have different passions. I always laugh. My husband 
would live in a duck blind in Arkansas if he could move <laughs> in there. That's where he would be. I would be in Manhattan. I mean, like pre-COVID for sure. I would be in Manhattan. I, I love it. So I'm like, yeah, we're going to have different interests, different passions. Like That is who God created us. And that, you don't want to lose that. So when you combine your finances, you're not losing your identity, but you are saying, yeah, I trust you enough as my spouse that we're going to work together as a team. And vice versa, that your spouse needs to look at you and say, yeah, I trust you enough that we are going to work together as a team. And the moment you can't trust the money going on, again, there are other things down there that you have got to dig out as a married couple. But when you both are vulnerable and saying, hey, yeah, we're, we're in this together. We're a team. Like the money, so many couples put money in the middle of each other. And you have to say, no, 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 the money's out there. Our problems, they're out there. It's not between us. Like we are together in this and we're going to tackle that together. And the moment you start playing, oh yeah, two separate accounts and all of this, it's hard to see it. It's hard to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I mean, if we're, if we're saying we are one as a couple and these are our goals collectively as a couple, then our money should be used as a tool to help us to achieve those goals. It's how we do it in our house, but I do know there's a lot of couples out there that try it different ways and, and, you know, everybody's got their own flavor of doing it, I guess. You know, you, you talked about couples counseling and, you know, I went through couples counseling with my wife a couple of years ago. It was very, very beneficial for us. We were coming to head on some financial issues together and it was just one of those things where we just needed another third party to jump in. A lot of good stuff came out. I mean, it was oh. tough coming out, but a lot of good stuff came out of those conversations. And what we learned is that a lot of it has to do with how we were raised, how how, how we were raised in our, in our childhood. And I know that has a lot to do with your new book coming out, Know Yourself, Know Your Money. So why does our childhood have so much to do with our money philosophies today? Our classroom growing up was our household. Like that is where we learned all of our lessons, the good lessons, the bad lessons of every area of life, including your money. And so that determines so much of how you view money today. And it's interesting. I find that people either subconsciously just repeat what their parents did, the habits their parents had, the way they handled money, the way they viewed money, it just kind of became part of them. And that's what they do today without even realizing it. And then some people I see do the complete opposite. They almost have this visceral reaction to not liking the way they grew up with money. And they almost, they do, they just repel and do the complete opposite. So it is fascinating to dissect, but it, but it affects you so much. Again, whether you do what your parents did or you're doing the exact opposite, it has an influence, a deep influence on how you view money today. Absolutely. Well, you talked about some of these different classrooms. I thought that was kind of a unique portion of your book. Would you mind sharing some of those different classrooms and maybe people could jump in and say, oh, that's probably the classroom I grew up in. Yes. Well, money is communicated in two ways. It's communicated verbally and it's communicated emotionally. And so when this, when I was writing the manuscript, I realized, oh my gosh, it creates this like graph. I'm like, God gave me a quadrant and I'm so excited about it. Like here it is. <laughs> but yeah, it creates these four money classrooms. So that first money classroom is the anxious money classroom. And this is where it's verbally closed and emotionally stressed. So not a lot of talk is going on, not a lot of verbal communication, but man, you feel the emotional stress around money. Probably couldn't pinpoint it as a kid because again, it wasn't talked about, but you felt the tension. Classroom number two is the unstable money classroom. And this is where it's verbally open, but emotionally stressed. So it's talked about, you hear money fights. You probably heard your parents have the same money fight over and over again. You know, you're someone's spending more than what they need and it's just, you just hear the conflict. Maybe they even fought with extended family members about money, but money conflict was heard, it was loud, and it happens a lot. Classroom number three is the unaware money classroom. And this is where it's verbally closed, 
but emotionally calm. So it's not talked about verbally, but again, you just kind of feel like, oh yeah, it's not a big deal because money's not a big deal. It's how it felt. Your head was probably in the sand a little bit. Classroom number four is definitely the healthiest of the four money classrooms. And this is the secure money classroom. So this is where it's verbally open and emotionally calm. So you could have $20 in this classroom or 20 million. It doesn't matter. It's not the amount of money, but it's how it's handled. So probably there's a plan in place. The parents agree on the money. Then there's just a level of control. And then it's verbally talked about. It's, you know, you talk about investing, you talk about the budget, you talk about the debt that's being paid off. You talk about contentment. You talk about spiritually what money means to you and your family and all of that. So, so again, that classroom number four is really where I push my readers to be in their current nuclear family. But it's important to look back and say, hey, this is how I grew up. And maybe this is why I don't like talking about money. Maybe this is why money makes me uncomfortable. Maybe this is why I just want my spouse to take care of everything. And I want to be in the dark because I'm okay with that. I'd rather be in the dark than be in the know. I mean, it just can show so much of why you view money the way you do today. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening right now just deciding which classroom maybe they grew up in and how that maybe shaped where how they grew up. Now, you grew up as the daughter of Dave Ramsey, so I'm sure your childhood was shaped in a certain way, and I know you shared a lot of that in your book. So how was your childhood shaped based on these money beliefs that you were taught? Yeah, it's funny because, again, as I was writing this book, I was like, okay, classroom number four. And again, mom and dad were not perfect parents by any means, but I do feel like, you know, they talked about money a lot with us and there was a budget, it was controlled. And so that classroom number four, I related to a lot, but I told them that. I said, yeah, I'm writing about this. And and I think we grew up in the secure money classroom and they both looked at each other and started laughing. And I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, because the year you were born, we filed bankruptcy. So like years one, two, three, and four of your life, we were in the unstable money classroom. Like Rachel, we fought all the time with money, like all of this. I just don't have those memories. So <laughs> so I had, I was in classroom number two early on in my life and then moved to classroom number four. I got it. Well, I mean, you probably learned a lot from your parents as, as you grow up. And you know, I'm a father too, and I'm always trying to teach my kids, maybe that secure money classroom too, a lot of information about what's going on in our lives, what we're doing, the things we've done right, the things we've done wrong. You know, I'm also concerned to make sure that I'm allowing them to carve their own path too. I want to influence them to help them to understand, you know, smart ways about money, but I also want them to, I guess, learn their own path too. How do we do that as parents? How do we find that balance? Sure. Well, I think that there's some really solid guided principles that you want your kids to understand about money. You don't want your kids to suffer when it comes to finances. So, so yeah, I think it's important for kids to have some guided money principles that they have in their back pocket that you have taught them along the way. You know, I think that there are some, you know, I'm a person of faith, so these biblical principles are very important to me. So things like staying away from, from debt, having a budget and being in control of your money, saving up for an emergency fund, looking to the future and changing your legacy. Like these are some guided principles that I think are very important. I pray my kids have a level of understanding because I think that helps avoid so many money mistakes and pain that they can have. But I think as kids, it's important for them to make mistakes with money under your roof. When they learn the mistake of not giving or they learn the mistake of not saving up for what they wanted or they learn the mistake of spending money on something cheap and it breaks before they even get home and all their hard-earned money is gone forever because you know they made this poor financial decision as a 10-year-old. Those are good. Like That is so healthy and so good because they're making inexpensive, small mistakes under your roof. So that way, when they're out on their own at 22, they're not making a mistake on a car lot. And so that's, those are the things you want to put in place or these guiding principles. But 
I mean, today I make different decisions with money than my sister. Like I spend way more money than Denise because I love to spend. And Denise, I laugh all the time, but I'm like, she has money, her and her husband, you know, they have money saved in the bank to redo a deck at their house. And they've been talking about it for three years. And I'm like, <laughs> redo the deck. And she's like, I don't know, I'm good, but then just being here, the money, you know. So they're gonna make different decisions. All of your kids are, maybe even than you will. But again, those big guiding principles, I think is is what's important that they that they have in, instilled in who they are. I think that's great. And you know, so anonymous, back to that. I mean, we, we've covered a lot of gamuts here for you. I'm obviously we want to have that conversation with your husband. If you do need that help, you do need that third party advice, seek out a financial counselor and you might find some of these lessons from our childhood are maybe at the core of it, or maybe it's something else, but that's, that's for you to discover together with your spouse and, and make that goal. So thank you very much for helping us answer this, Rachel. Rachel, I, I had the opportunity to reach out to my community and say, hey, I've got a great opportunity. I'm going to be interviewing Rachel Cruz. Do you guys have any questions for her? You know, and I thought I could answer some of those with you today. Is that okay with you? I love that. Yes, for sure. Well, Melissa reaches out and honestly, I did not know what an anagram was until she asked this question. I went and took the test, but she thought you might know what it is. So here's her question. Do you believe there's a natural connection between one's anagram type and whether or not he or she is a natural saver or spender? Oh, good question. Okay, so the Enneagram, for those of you that don't know. Enneagram, I didn't even pronounce yeah. it right, see? Oh, yeah, no, you're good, Andy. You're new, you're new to the world. You're new to this world, because it is a world. Okay. Once you tap into it, it, you will get lost in so much stuff. It's, it's amazing. So, yeah, it's basically a, I mean, in the short of it, it's a personality-type assessment, but it really shows you the good parts of you, the unhealthy parts of you. I mean, it's very exposing and it's out of these nine numbers. So she's asking if your number dictates if you're a spender or a saver. I think some numbers you will see naturally are more conservative in different ways and others are probably just a little bit more aggressive. So yeah, I think that you probably could stereotypically go through and say, okay, I bet, you know, ones and twos and fives, nines are probably savers, maybe just knowing how they're wired versus other numbers. But I don't think it's a cut and dry black and white, but I think it could, I can't, I think it could have some influence. Do you know what your number is? Oh yeah. Oh yes, Andy. I know what my number is. I love the Enneagram. <laughs> yeah. I'm a three. I'm a number three, which is the performer achiever. So I am all about getting success and, and make, having goals, achieving goals. I love being proactive. I love having progress. Like I love checking things off a list. I mean, all of that, that's, that's what I thrive on. And there's a lot of downsides to that, but that's the good, healthy parts that I, I move things. I took the test. I found out I was a one. So I guess I'm a, a goal oriented person that wants to see progress in the world. And that kind of fits me well. So yeah, that's it. I love it. Yeah, the perfectionist is the one. That's me. That's me. My wife would probably agree. So, <laughs> well, David asks, there's our next question. He said, what do you disagree with your dad with regard to finances? I get this question a lot. And again, I think it's back to these guiding principles. I don't disagree with the guiding principles. I think it's hard to disagree with that, with anything big, because I'm like, it works. You know, when you don't have bills and you have savings and you give a lot, it's, it's a great life financially. So to the big stuff, I don't agree on. I mean, like little nitpicky things. We talked about sinking funds, which is where you put a little bit of money away each month for a category. So you're saving as the months go on. I was on the show with him a few weeks ago. And I remember he was like, yeah, 
you just need like one or two sinking funds, you know, for a vacation or replacing a car. And I was like, no, you can have them for vet bills. If you have a dog or a cat and you know, I'll put a little bit of money away each month for that. Or, you know, for car repairs. And he was like, no, that's for an emergency fund. You don't need sinking funds for those. I'm like, no, you can have lots of sinking funds. So yeah. So we kind of disagreed on when to use the emergency, when to have sinking funds. So if that, it's very nerdy disagreement. I would think I'd have to lean towards Rachel there. I think I'm one for like maybe 15 different sinking funds. And there's probably a point where you can have too many too. Things aren't emergencies if you know that they're going to happen eventually, right? I know. But, and he was like, nah, nah, it's the emergency fund for that. I was like, okay. I love it. Our last question comes in from Rob and Rob asks, do Ramsey followers and fire enthusiasts clash on key values or are they the same thing? Yeah, so the FIRE movement is retiring early. That's one of the, I don't I can't even remember what it stands for. Financial independence, retire early. There you go, that's it. I was like, I knew it had something to do with all that. I don't think we clash a ton. I mean, our end goal with Ramsey is for you to build wealth, give a lot away and create a life that you love and one that you're in control of. If that means you get to retire early because of those principles, then that's fine. But our end goal is not just retirement. I think a lot of that fire movement is just like, get to retirement, get to do whatever you can right now just to retire, it's right. And I would pray that I'm in a job in my life in the long term that I'm not just scraping for retirement, 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 right? Like I, I hope I'm doing something in my life that, that I love and I get paid for, which is great, but I have a passion for it. So, and I'm not on the other extreme, not like, oh yeah, retirement is a number. That's what Chris Hogan, mm-hmm. one of our first guys talks about all the time. Like it's not just an, it's not just an age. It's not just an age, but it is a number. So if you're working towards this number and it happens to be early and that's what you want to do, we're not mad about that. But I think they're very passionate about retiring early in the fire movement. Yeah. I like your sentiment of money being the tool to use to move you towards your purpose. And I think a lot of fire folks find that to be their eventuality. So maybe the goal eventually was to retire, and then they just had some time to figure out what they really wanted to do in life or really what their purpose was. And I, that's where I think it kind of meets in the middle is that you guys are really promoting finding your purpose. And, and by taking care of your money, you can do that. Yes. And what I do like about the fire movement too, is that they talk about, you know, delayed gratification and thinking long-term, not giving into all your short-term wants. That's that our society is, right? Like that's America. It's like bigger, better right now, instant gratification. So I love the idea of that delayed looking toward the future because that's where so many money mistakes are made as you make them right in that instant versus thinking a little bit long-term. Rob, I'm going to say that Rachel and I think it's very close. They both give you options and that's the opportunity that we want people to have, especially as they listen to this show. So Rachel, thank you so much for being here. This was a lot of fun. We covered a lot of ground. Where can people find this new book we talked about? Yes, Know Yourself, Know Your Money. It's anywhere books are sold. So I'm really excited about this. I've been talking about the how-to of money for over a decade, how to budget, how to get out of debt, how to give, how to refinance. And now I get to dig into the why, why we handle money the way we do. It has become a passion of mine. I love it so much, understanding who we are, how we're wired and how that affects our money. I think that's fantastic. And it's a lot of the stuff we talked about today, guys. I think it could really help you to uncover your motivation, maybe find out a little bit about your past so you can move forward and have a great future. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Where can people check you out, maybe listen to your show and connect? 
Yes. Thanks, Andy. You can go to rachelcruz.com or The Rachel Cruz Show is on YouTube, Facebook, and podcasts. And I'm all over social media, so you can find me there. Lots of money content coming out of those accounts. Excellent. Well, if you guys like this show, Rachel is all about family, financial independence, and freedom. And she's a mom herself. She's working hard to help her family have a great life and help a bunch of families out there do the same. So Rachel, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Good to see you again, Andy. Thanks. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Let's jump back into the show. A new year and a new promise of opportunity for the lives we've always wanted. Now, I'm all about taking action to strengthen my family tree for the next generation to come. After the year we've just had, it's important to reflect on the positive wins. Although it may be difficult to think about those positive wins based on the year we just had, the exercise can help you experience wonderful feelings a lot of us are seeking, like contentment, gratitude, and happiness. To lead by example, I'm going to share my top three positive wins from this past year. That's the year of 2020. Number one, no one in my immediate family 
became infected with COVID-19. That's a big win. Number two, we had an incredible family trip to California in February, right before the lockdown and school went full virtual. And then number three, I was able to leave my corporate career and pursue my small business, which you guys are listening to right now, full time. Those are three big wins. And it's pretty easy for me to go negative and think about all the bad things that happened. When I think about 2020 in that context, though, of this positive side of things, I get a smile on my face. Now, I'm not suggesting that we don't learn from and recognize the difficulties from last year, but that can be a slippery slope. Since our primitive brains or our lizard brains are hardwired for negativity, it's important for us to recognize that and then fight against it. We can do this through smart habits like keeping a gratitude journal, reflecting on positive wins each evening from the day, expressing gratitude to friends and family and neighbors, giving back with our time, our money, and our resources, and instilling these habits in our children the best way we can. These are some of the things that I've been trying. Now, am I positive that they're going to work and combating my discontentment and making me super happy? No, I'm not positive. But I do know that when I don't do them, I'm not as happy. So I'm going to keep doing them. (laughs) In our thriving families community, I ask people to share their wins from 2020 as well. This way, we can combat that lizard brain together and focus on what 2020 gave us instead of what 2020 took away. Here's a bit of what was shared. Tom from our group said he paid off his student loans completely. That was one win. His second win was his son Joseph was born in May and he was healthy and happy. And then the third one was that they sold their house in 24 hours in June and purchased a new, hopefully forever, he says, home in July. So there's the three big wins for Tom. Janet contributed and said her first thing was she got promoted at work, which is fantastic. Her second one was discovering the Phi community. And she says, was always into personal finance and following Dave Ramsey for a while, but Phi taught me to invest more. And then the third win that Janet had was moved our retirement from Edward Jones to Vanguard low-cost index funds. I love that one. (laughs) More money for you, less for them. I'm going to share one more from Jelena. Jelena said her first one was she enjoyed the opportunity to slow down outside of work and spend valuable time with her family. She had some intentional moments with her kids And those were fleeting, she says here, and as they continue to grow and change so quickly. That's a really good thing to recognize, Jelena. And her second win is that she moved her investments from Raymond James to Vanguard. There seems to be a trend here. (laughs) And then her third positive win for 2020 was starting to track her net worth and operating a zero-based budget that allowed her to begin paying down her home mortgage a lot quicker. I mean, those are really big wins. So that's nine wins from the group there and another three for me. Those are 12 positive wins. And I just have to say thank you very much to Tom and Janet and Jelena for sharing that and jumping on the bright side and looking at 
what was possible and what did happen in 2020. So now on to my challenge for you, my friends, the listeners of this podcast. I challenge you to do the same thing today. Write down three things that happened to you in 2020 that were positive wins for you and your family. Now, this may be hard, especially if you faced a really difficult year, which a lot of us did. But this exercise in looking at what went right in 2020 will help you avoid the negative as we head into a new year in 2021. So do this today. Don't wait, don't overthink it, just write three things down, reflect on them, and let that gratitude and contentment just sort of wash over you for a minute. And then step into this year with your head held high and prepare yourself for all the good that is gonna come your way. Be a magnet for good and it'll start coming your way. All right, the challenge has been laid down, my friends. Who is in? Please contact me on social at Andy Hill MKM and let me know if you are in and what those things are. A great place to do this would also be at our Thriving Families Facebook community, which is a free community of almost a thousand families sharing all of their good news and also strategies to help their families get to the next level. You can do this at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. I hope you join this challenge and I hope to see you in the community. As a quick reminder, everyone, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do one quick thing to support this show. Please leave me a review in Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help more people to find this show. To encourage you to leave a review of this Family Empowering Podcast, each month we do a book giveaway. So we received three reviews since last month's book giveaway offer. And as a reminder, this quarter, we're going to be giving away three different books from past podcast guests. And those are as follows. Own Your Future by Echo Huang, The Family Board Meeting by Jim Shields, and 99-Minute Millionaire by Scott Allen Turner. And to help me pick the winner this week, I've got my assistant Zoe Hill here with me once again. How's it going, Zoe Hill? Good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here once again. Zoe's done this for over a year now, and it means a lot to her daddy that she joins and has some fun with me and helping to read these reviews. But I thought before the review, you and I could do something. Like a money quiz. Yeah, we could do a money quiz. Does that sound like fun? Yeah, I just guessed that. Awesome. You just, you just, you just you, threw you it out there. You didn't tell me. I didn't tell you beforehand at all. You just you just thought of that. Huh? Yeah, and I know the rules, too. You knew it. What are the rules? Yeah, you ask me a money quiz and then I answer. You answer it, and then do you know what happens if you get it right? Yeah. What? I get a whole surprise to, to go after the money quiz. That sounds like a good deal, but I'm also going to give you a dollar for every answer you get right. Ah. What do you think about that? Does that sound like fun? It's not good. You don't want any money? It's super good. Oh, it's super good. Okay, it's not just good. It's super good. You could say, I don't like that. I don't like that. I love that. I love that. That's the nice trick, you guys, too. You're very funny. All right, so let's start with question number one. Are you ready? Zoe, spending money 
can be a lot of fun. But what are three other things you can do with your money besides spending it? You could invest it. That's a good one. You could give it away. Yes. And you could save it in your bank account. Oh, you are the winner with question number one. Congratulations. I am taking a dollar out of my wallet right now and handing it to Zoe. Way to go, Zoe. And that's also on Hold Surprise Tickle if you want to do that afterward, too. Deal? Because you like this money quiz thing, huh? It's pretty fun. All right, question number two. Drum roll. What are two ways kids can make money? They can earn it by okay. doing something helpful. That's great. Like lawning, like mowing the lawn, mm-hmm. washing the dishes, great. chores. That's number one. That's a good one. You so do things helpful around the house, right? Mm-hmm. What else? What outside of the house? What else you could, could you do? You could also make money? just get it in a birthday envelope. That's a great idea, too. You could make money that way. I yeah. like it. Those work. You win. Two. Yay! Awesome. Another oh, dollar. Yeah. I have one more. I have one more. Another one to add? Yeah. Okay. By answering money quizzes correctly. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. Hanging out with your dad who's handing out your money, right? Yes. <laughs> that's good. Two ways kids can make money is being helpful around the house and then gifts from family, right? Yeah. And, like and completing money quizzes. And completing money quizzes, of course. All right. Question number three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you go shopping for a new toy... Why is it important to count your money before you go? Because if there's a price on it and you don't have enough money, you can't buy it. Also, it's important to have a little bit more money of what you buy because maybe you'll need to pay taxes. Oh, you win, Zoe. That's incredible. You got all three of them right. Here's another dollar from my wallet. Oh, my wallet's getting slim. There you go, my dear. Congratulations. You are the winner. You won all three questions today. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yes, so last month we got three Three reviews. reviews. And let's ask our electronic friend to uh, find out the number. Alexa, pick a number between one and three. Your random number between one and three is three. Excellent. Well, our third review comes in from Fam Goals, who leaves the title Easy to Action. And I'll let Zoe read this review for you. Love the diverse topics you cover, but ability to make it easy to take action on. Between working kids, it's hard to implement changes yet. This is how it makes it easy to do so. Thanks, Andy. I also love having Zoe show up at the end. Excellent. Well, I love having Zoe show up on the show as well, yeah. fam goals. Thank you so much for this nice review. And Zoe, thank you for reading that. I really like how you said implement. That was a very implement. difficult word, and I'm glad you did it. So, hey, everybody, we're going to be doing this again next month. Same book, same giveaway. And actually, I think Zoe liked the quiz, so I think we might bring back the quiz. Yep. What do you think? Do you think we should do it again? opportunity to earn three more bucks and i think there's some kids that maybe will play along at home too listening with their mommy and daddy and maybe if you guys like it maybe you throw a dollar or two at your kids who get the answers right what do you think Mm -hmm. it's a good nice thing to do all right, so please leave a review for Bye, us. I'm going to go hide my money from daddy. Yeah, <laughs> good idea. So please leave a review for us at Apple Podcasts and take a screenshot of your review and email at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com. 
And that way we can see your review and know who it came from. And that way we can maybe read yours on the show as well. Darn it, I made a noise. I was going to pretend leave. to leave, <laughs> but now I made a noise, so I can't. Well, you can make the same joke right now if you want to. I'm going to leave and hide in my money. Oh, probably a good idea because I might make you put it in your invest jar or something. <laughs> well, there she goes, everybody. Thank you, Zoe. For our first month of the year, we have an incredible lineup. I'm excited to share it with you. Next Monday, January 11th, the founder of YNAB, Jesse Meekum, joins me, and he's going to share why you need a budget this year. <laughs> the next Monday of the month is January 18th, and I'll be sharing another listener question and helping to answer that. And we'll also be hearing from a young millionaire, Andy LeBlanc, about how he recently hit his seven-figure goal. And the last Monday of the month, January 25th, we will be hearing from Leo Jean-Louis about how he and his wife have invested $100,000 in the past year and how they did it and where they did it. And that way we can learn about their success and how we can all be successful as well. Everybody, it's going to be a great month. Last year, we finished the year just above 900,000 total downloads on this show. And at this rate, I'm going to be thrilled to celebrate the million download milestone with you all in just a few months. So thank you so much for your support, especially if you've been listening for a while. I really, really appreciate it. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Og Mandino. I will love the light, for it shows me the way. Yet I will endure the darkness, for it shows me the stars. Let's practice gratitude and prepare ourselves for a great new year. Carpe diem! 